Hello, and welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray, the podcast about wine, the interesting people who make it, and the never-ending appeal of wine country living. For many wine lovers, the dream of owning a vineyard, perhaps raising your family among the vines, and creating your own winery is a favorite daydream, or perhaps the answer to, what would you do if you won the lottery? But our guest today is living that dream. Dennis Hoey didn't get there by winning the lottery. The realization of his dream came with a lot of hard work and perhaps some blood, sweat, and hopefully not too many tears. But he is living the dream exactly what he hoped to do as owner and winemaker of Odonata Winery in the Monterey AVA. And we are delighted that Dennis is our guest today. We are, of course, the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. And today we are sitting with Dennis in between the tanks and barrels in his winery on River Road in the Salinas Valley. Um, and his winery is one of seven that's on the River Road Wine Trail. So it's a great place to come sip a few glasses of wine, including some bubbly, and just enjoying the atmosphere, soaking up, being among the Viognier vines here. So um, Dennis is a little bit crazy. He makes about 32 different wines, so there's something for every taste out there. And if you love sparkling wine, this is a destination for you. Um, So we'll get to know Dennis, talk about his wines, taste a little... Dennis, welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to be here and to get to know you today. Can you tell us how you went from like thinking this is what you, I mean, having this dream and then actually making it happen? You worked for other wineries first and then created your own label and your own deal. Can you kind of walk us through some of that? Yeah, yeah. So I got my start in... Uh, in 2004, when um, I met my mentor, Jeff Emery, at Santa Cruz Mountain Vineyard, um, he was moving his winery and just needed help moving. So I started helping him move and bottling. And I had the epiphany moment um, when we were bottling the 2000, um, the 2003 Rosé of Grenache. Um, we just finished bottling, and I, I just said, I love this, and I'm, I'm done. I, this is what I want to do. And I was graduating college. I was trying to be a firefighter. Um, Were you really? Yeah. Um, I'd done my EMT. I was just graduating mm-hmm. college with a business degree and was heading home to Sacramento to, to go pursue that. And you were at UC Santa Cruz? Where were um, you? I was at UC Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, and so one of my teachers introduced me to Jeff um, and we uh, we just hit it off and I just fell in love with wine. I fell in love with him. Um, I f- had just met a girl who's now my wife that I needed to <laughs> you know stick around Santa Cruz to see about. Um, and, um, and yeah, so I just got bit really hard, um, by the wine bug and just, I, I remember bringing that bottle of Grenache Rosé home, um, to my girlfriend who again is my wife now, um, and plunking that bottle on the table and just being like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Really? Uh, and was she on board or was she like, yeah, she right. looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> um, cause I had been doing my business degree. Um, I was graduating in three years. I did my EMT and my massage practitioner's license all in those three years. Come on. Um, so I, I like to pile a lot on myself. Um, <clears throat> and so this girl that I just started dating is looking at me like, okay, so you've had this line going towards being a firefighter and now you're going to be a winemaker. Okay. You're nuts. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but what a great mentor to have in Jeff Emery. 
Um, he's well-respected winemaker in the Santa Cruz Mountains um, and makes just amazing wines. How did you come to work with him? Um, so one of my teachers, uh, she was my herbology teacher and my, my massage practitioner's license deal. Um, she was one of Jeff's good friends, and Jeff needed help moving stuff. And I, at that time, I was training really hard, and I was pretty fit. And she was just like, well, we, we need somebody to go move 6,000 cases by hand onto pallets and get it out of the winery that he was moving out of. Um, she was like, you want to come do that? I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And so she did uh, in the introduction um, for us, and then um, Jeff and I were just inseparable um, after that. Um, he just kept asking me to come, and I kept not leaving him alone. Um, and so uh, 2004, uh, we moved up to Big Basin, made wine up there. Um, as a, um, we rent, Jeff rented space there. Um, 2005, um, I asked Jeff if I could start my own little thing where I was only going to make like 65 cases to a hundred cases. But you know, my focus was still Santa Cruz mountain vineyard. Um, and then, you know, as those things go, the bug just kept going. Um, I was working three jobs at the time. Um, so I was working for Jeff, I was bartending weddings and I was a trainer at a gym. No way, um, really? Just to just to be able to live in Santa Cruz, it's expensive. You probably were not sleeping. No, no, I would go from one job to the next to the next. Right. Um, but then things kept coming in line where we were working at Big Basin, and then Big Basin needed help in the vineyards, so I got to work in the vineyards there for for a year or two. Um, my wife uh, needed to move up to San Rafael uh, at the time. Uh, probably that was two thousand five. Uh, for grad school. She did her occupational therapy um, uh, master's. And so we moved all my stuff up there, but I was still working those three jobs and commuting. You were commuting to Big Basin? Uh Uh-huh. That's such, I mean, I don't live, I live in Los Gatos, which isn't that far from Big Basin, and that's still a heck of a drive from Los Gatos. (laughs) Yeah, it was was a lot of driving. Um, But luckily, so the first year... Jeff and I were still getting to know each other. And so, and I still had a lot of friends in college. So I just couch surfed. So I would go for the week and I would just Mm -hmm. couch surf and be Mm -hmm. a a couch bum for a week. Um, And then I'd get back to, um, get back to Claire around uh, Saturday, Sunday range. Mm -hmm. And so that got a little trying. So my brother actually is a brewer. um, And so he was working for, um, um, like in Berkeley or something. Yeah, it was. It was um, I read I'm, this. I, I, I read up. <laughs> Bison Brewing. Sorry, brain fart. Um, Bison Brewing. So, um, Sorry, so he, uh, so they needed a bottling line tech, and so San Rafael and Big and uh, Berkeley are pretty close. So I, I took that job on and dropped the the gym job, and then eventually dropped the, um, the bartending job, um, and was just doing vineyard work, winery work, and and a bottling line tech for, for Bison Brewing. Um, and I learned a lot about myself and cause it was just me at Bison Brewing. They just kind of, they were like, all right, put it in the bottle. Um, and so I had to like fix machines. I had to fix things when they were broken. I had to rebuild things that had been undone. So that was like a real formative time for me to really grow as, um, where there's no option. You just do it. Um, and, um, so that really served me very, very well and into the future. Um, so that 
kept doing that until we moved back to Santa Cruz when um, Claire's two-year program was up. Um, in the interim, I actually, I, the, for harvest and everything, I so we did two years that way. So first year I was a, a couch bum, and then the second year I uh, uh, Jeff was nice enough to let me sleep in a bedroom in his house. Um, <laughs> he was like, all right, I got to, I got to like, <laughs> yeah. this, this guy's getting not, not leaving. So he I got to, yeah, I just kind of went to him and I was like, I can't like couch surf anymore in college, mm-hmm. college crash pads. Um, Cause I mean, they're all partying in college and not going to bed till two or three in the morning. Oh, yeah. I'm sleeping That's on your couch, brutal. but I got work at 6am. Yeah, so you're in the party, so but you're I'm, trying to sleep. I was just getting wrecked. Yeah. Um, just on, from a sleep deprivation thing. Um, but so then 2004, five and six were at big basin seven was, uh, we had to move to Byington for an interim, mm-hmm. um, while we waited for the two, uh, in 2008 to move to the Swift street courtyard, um, uh, area where Jeff and I built a winery together, um, in 2008. And that's when I got my, so I had been in 2005 and six, I'd made 65 cases, in six, I made a hundred cases, um, and I was still a seventeen twenty, which is basically, it's a it's a way you're, you're not you don't have your own winery, but it's a way to be legal and have your label. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was still making it under Jeff's bond, but then when we moved in two thousand eight to Santa Cruz, we did what's called an alternating proprietorship, where I actually got my own bonded winery there with Jeff. Okay, so, so that's, that's how that works. Okay. So, so that's, that's when I got a big step. That's when I got really legitimate about it. And then in 2008, I made 350 cases, you know, taking over the world. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Jeff was nice enough to let me be open one day a month was our agreement. Okay. Um, so I was open the first Saturday of every month. And from there, I was like generating wine club members and just people starting to get to know my brand and just slowly, organically growing this little tiny brand. Then flash forward to 2011, um, my wife and I jumped off a little cliff, uh, which was taking on um, a pretty substantial leasehold on Mission Street. Um, a place came available. I was friends with the Al family, who are real prominent um, uh, leasers in, uh, in Santa Cruz. And uh, this place came up. We built out a beautiful little tasting room on the west side next to a companion bake shop. And uh, I, re- I remember vividly Gavin being just born in a bassinet when I was signing the, the lease papers at Companion <laughs> Big Shop. Um, and that's the gulp moment. Like it, here goes nothing, right? It was it was it was fri- it was frightening because like we'd never had. I mean, we'd bought a house, so we we, we had the, the the function of like okay, a mortgage is you know we're grown ups th- that you gotta like mm-hmm. yeah we're grown ups. That's <laughs> a great way to say it. Um, and then signing that lease, we were like, okay, well, here we go. Yeah, um, you're all in at that point. For sure. Um, so one of my other mentors, Doug Feinsod, um, he's taught me how to sweat copper, do drywall, do all that stuff. Um, so he and I basically did the majority of the transformation of that space. Um, Claire and I worked together decorating it and buying the furniture and everything for it. Um, and when we opened... Um, our wine club was strong enough to sustain a tasting room 
and then we could build from there. That's fantastic. I remember the tasting room I visited, it and it was really beautiful. She has a touch for design. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about the label, because it's also a beautiful design. How, how did the name yeah. come about? Um, so I've been really fortunate with graphic artists in, in my time. Um, uh, Gilly Wolf um, is the gal that I met at a tasting when I was pouring for Jeff. And she just leaned over the counter and was like, I, um, I'm a graphic artist and I'd like to design a wine label. And I was like, well, that you're in luck because I need one designed. <laughs> um, so just, and, and this has been a recurrent theme in my entire career. Um, just the right people and beautiful people come into my life at the right time. And just so fortunate for that. It's lovely. And the name Odomata, what inspired that and what's behind it? Um, so my wife and I were sitting in a field up in the Sierra foothills at a beer festival, just hanging out with my brother, um, and a bunch of dragonflies flying around. We we're like, okay, that's cool. Cause my last name's Hoey and her last name is Blackman. Both are not so sexy. <laughs> um, so, um, so we decided to, um, pursue the dragonfly thing. I just gotten out of, you know, a marketing course, like. A year, a year or two before, and I was like, you know, we can make a strong brand image. Um, we put the Celtic knots in the wings of the dragonfly, and so uh, we went online and kind of Google searched, and Google told us that Odonata is the order of dragonflies and damselflies, and we're like, okay, well, that's esoteric enough to work. Yes, um, so, it has a nice ring to it too. Yeah. It, it flows. It's pretty. Most people think we're a sake. Uh, Japanese joint, Did but it's oh. but but it truly it's Latin, because <laughs> um, uh, it's like odonata, you know. Huh. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it's esoteric enough to work, and um, you know the dry the dragonfly is is um, kind of now our power bug. Oh, I love bug. it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in hearing your story, I think a re- recurrent theme. Is, is definitely the willingness to work hard for what you want and you didn't shy away from taking on three jobs at a time sacrificing sleep and sacrificing uh, creature comforts to make it happen and um and then also being open to opportunities as they come along yeah and i think that so often in life we we think we want to do something but we don't actually take the steps to make something happen right and so it's, it's that combo that you seemed really, I don't know if it's a space in your life or just who you are, you seemed willing to, to put those things together. And what, what kept you going? Because I'm sure there were times you probably thought, this is way too much. Um, am I going to get to what I want to be doing ultimately? Um, I've always had drive. Um, I think my, my mom and dad really instilled that in me that it's like if you want something, you can do it and you go do it. Um, and so I've always considered myself a doer and even when I'm working with people and they're saying, Oh, you know, someday I want to do that. I just look at them like you either do or you don't like there's no, there's no someday. There's no, maybe if there's maybe in your heart, you're never going to do it. It's you gotta, especially for wine. Um, it is not an easy industry to get into. It's very expensive. Um, like I said, I've met some beautiful people that have helped me along the way at, at the times where I needed them. Um, but it really boils down to grit and you have to want to work hard. If you don't want to work hard and you think it's just going to come easy, 
just don't, you need not apply. Yeah. Well, and with the, oh, go ahead, Mary. And so many people do think that they don't realize all the hard, hard work that goes into creating a label. And you may seem like, oh, an overnight sensation or success, and they don't know about all the toil behind it. Well, we romanticize wine so much. It's a lovely beverage and the, you know, the wineries we visit and stuff, it all, we're on vacation. So it all just seems really lovely and easy and, you know. A bunch of R and R. My favorite thing is people. People are like, "Well, you know, harvest is over, so um, you know, what do you do? You go on vacation for the rest of the year?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> yeah, you're down. <laughs> I, keep, I yeah. keep working. This is my job. The wine doesn't make itself. <laughs> um, so yeah, tell us about the move from um, the Santa Cruz area down here to Monterey AVA, and you guys are in the Salinas Valley here. Um, we are in the Salinas Valley. Um, I had very little experience down here. Um, I grew up going to Pacific Grove, uh, with my parents. And so like that was, that was Monterey to me. Um, but I didn't really know much about the, the whole of Monterey. And I knew that the Santa Lucia Highlands, um, was producing some amazing grapes. And so I was like, okay, you know, I, I can move into an area like that, um, coming from the Santa Cruz mountains. Um, and, um, we've, we just, so let me back up. My wife and I had been looking for a new space. We looked all over the Santa Cruz mountains. Everything was either way too expensive or way too messed up that we would never be able to get on the step to even be able to continue the winery. Um, I found a warehouse um, that we were about to sign the lease for. I drug my family up and down the mountains everywhere looking for where we were going to, where our next move was. And then, I found this place when I was looking for equipment for that warehouse for sale. And my parents were coming down that, n- that night that I found it. I talked to Joel, the owner of, uh, um, of this property, um, before they got there. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to see if my family wants to come down and check it out uh, tomorrow. And so we, we made an appointment. So we're sitting at dinner and I'm like, hey, you know, there's this place that I want to go check out. Um, and my family's like, oh, God, not another place to go check out. Um, <laughs> But they willingly went with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we come down, we check it out. And I'm I'm already like on the warehouse. That's my direction. That's where I'm going. And I'm, I'm being like this negative person. And we sit down at lunch and my whole family looks at me and they're like, you idiot, you found it. Go get it. <laughs> really? Oh. They knew. Yeah. They, did. they were like, that place is awesome. Because I was finding all the reasons mm-hmm. like why it didn't work and all this stuff. And um and like my wife, my parents, everybody was just like, dude, you've been trying to make everything else work. What's wrong with you? Go get this place. Um, so that we, was almost 10 years ago. Uh, that was eight years ago. Eight years ago. That's great to have that support behind you. And yeah. did it work? And you're glad you made the move? 100%. So we leveraged everything we had. We had to sell our house. It had to concurrently close with the sale of this place. Mm. Um, I le- I raised all the funds privately because no bank Banks basically thought I was unemployed. Um, and um, so all private money raised in one week to make to make the offer. Um, we basically threw every single thing we had into it to get to this property. We had, like, like we were discussing, I had to be working on all my licensing while we were in escrow so that when we actually occupied the space, we were able to open and and be selling wine because you um, had a, a 30 day deadline to get it open right yes that's yeah. so 
That's hustle. Yeah, that's hustle and bustle. So we gutted, redid the whole tasting room. Um, the my my mentor um, Doug uh, his his adage for this property was it was the right amount of messed up for me to be able to afford it. <laughs> um, and um, and and since then I've I just I love this property. I was just having this discussion with somebody yesterday where it's like they're gonna have to take me off this property kicking and screaming Aww. if some it, I I will. I will be buried here. That's what's this going on. This is your forever winery. This is, this is my love. Um, I pour it in every day. Like this morning, I was up at six o'clock weeding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love this property. I love what we do here. Um, and um, and yeah, so over the eight years, we've done tons of landscaping. We've planted our vineyard out front. We've built a, another building in the back. Um, this whole place was just flat and nothing here. Um and just these four walls that we're sitting in right now. Um, and it was it was already a winery, so a lot of work had been done to, to just, and I, I was somebody that knew how to use it, right? Because mm-hmm. not everybody can just walk in and swing. Like you need to know how to make sure. wine, you need to know how to run a business, you need to know all these things. Like we were this, talking about, it's hard. All that experience. This had to be where a lot of your experience, especially working at your brother's brewery, and all the mechanical aspects and everything, the operations probably came in really handy. Yeah, yeah. Just being able to t- you you put your hands on it and you just do it because there is no other option. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a few wines on the table, and um, why don't we get started with one? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the kind of wine that you would like yes. to make. So I'm a I'm a pretty delicate winemaker. Um, I try to make wines that are tasty, flavorful, but they're not crazy big dominant, and they're they're not. But they're not so delicate that there's no flavor there. Um, I'm playing around with some very silly things, and then I also am playing around with some very serious things. Um, what I'm pouring for you right now is Grenache Rouge. Um, so this has been a project that I've been working on for a few years. Um, it is Grenache that I let sit on the skins for its entire primary fermentation. So it's made almost like a Lambrusco. Okay. Um, where it's a red sparkling wine. It's really pretty it to look pretty. at. It's gorgeous. Um, and this comes from the San Lucia Highlands. This comes from Hook Vineyard. It's farmed by Han uh, Winery. And um, this vineyard just has all this guava and and like orange marmalade. That's um, delicious. And uh, it's wow. it's it's just a really fun deal. It is fun. That is really great. Mm-hmm. And you don't expect to see. A red sparkling wine. I, I like to be a little different. So, like I said, I, we, we do the traditionals. We do Cab Pinot Chard. Um, and um, and then we like to just kind of play around and do do some off-beaten path things. I used to make a sparkling Rosea Sangiovese, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm now making a more traditional, like, sparkling Rosea Pinot. It could be a little I'm, – I'm growing up. I'm getting I'm, I'm getting a little older. I made my first commercial wine when I was 21. Um, and uh, so, you know – We've we've evolved over the, over the past <laughs> over the past eighteen years. Um, so some some wines are meant to be really serious, and then other wines are meant to just be fun and playful. Mm-hmm. This wine's meant to just just be enjoyed and not you know just 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 drink it. You just don't overthink it. it. Don't overthink it. Uh, it is really what I like about it. So it's it's not uh, it's dry and crisp and, and fresh and lovely. It's not mm-hmm. um, super sweet. And I think you have a um, a. You make several sparklings, and you have, and so I think um, 
there must be some attraction between Bubbly for you. Um, I, I saw on your Instagram, your most recent post, you were sabering a bottle. We saber you a lot. wild man. <laughs> yeah. we, we saber a lot around here. It's it's celebratory and fun. And, yeah, sure. Um, and uh, my wife and I love bubbles. And we've been to Champagne and, um, you know, bubbles are on our table quite a bit. So I was like, all right, well, I'll start. So I started making bubbles in 2010. Um, so we've been at it almost 12 years now. This will be our 12th shot at making making bubbles. That's the one thing also, like, just to get back to, like, why wine making is what it is. Mm-hmm. You got to like the pressure and you got to like that you have one shot. So I've had 12 shots mm-hmm. to make bubbles, right? right? And maybe I have four shots a year because I'm making four different bubbles. But you only have that one shot. I don't get to just be like, oh, that didn't work. Well, next month I'll I'll do I'll tweak it this way. Right. Right. It's not like whipping up a batch of cookies that didn't turn out. You're like to start over. You you don't have the product. Right. And yeah. even not not to knock brewers, but right. I mean my brother's a brewer. Um, but you know that batch doesn't show show up. That's twelve. You know that's maybe two weeks of your life, and you're like, ah, I'll just make another one. Yeah. Um, where and and I mean brewing is super scientific and very specific and very hard. Um, but their time frame is two weeks for a lot of their products. Ours is two years. Yes. Um, to have a product out there where we're like, oh, maybe that's not what we want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're you're really you're it's a high high stakes poker. Um, and it's but and you it's, like but that. I love it. I love mm-hmm. the pressure. I, I'm my my nephew is shadowing me this week for bottling, and what I told him was it was like. Bottling is super stressful. You need to have everything in line. You have to have everyone showing up when they're supposed to be showing up. It takes all this pressure to like get it all put together. But I love it. Sure. Because I like that pressure. I like to be busy and I like, you know, when everything goes well and it gets put into bottle, it's beautiful. Even yesterday we were racking wines into tanks and there was this calm and this quiet that came over the crush pad because everybody knew where they needed to be. No, nobody was like, hey, can you get this for me? Can you do that? Everything was just flowing and felt beautiful. And that's like that's like a beautiful symphony to me where everything's just working. Everyone's doing their thing. Yeah. Oh, it's magic, right? Yeah. So it's, you mentioned um, your nephew's shadowing you. Um, I know that there, um, you've, had, you've helped many people kind of get their start or you know, at least give them an opportunity to work with you and bring them along. Can you talk about how you've been mentoring some aspiring winemakers? Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, you're paying it, paying it back and paying it forward, right? Because you really got helped out, as you mentioned. Yeah, with, um, and I'm sorry, we're going to have a little bit of noise because we are a working winery. That's um, okay. But, um, uh, so with Jeff and Doug, they taught me the value of, this is a trade and this is something that you can teach and this is something you can pass on. And Jeff actually learned the same exact way from Ken Burnap in Santa Cruz Mountain Vineyard. So Ken taught to Jeff, Jeff taught to me, and now I'm paying that forward as well. Um, so I've got uh, Chad from Rustique Winery. He came to me when he was 19. Um, and it's been really a pleasure to watch him grow up and grow into the man that he is. Uh, we still work together. Rustique wines are still made here at Odonata. Um, and, um, but Chad is, uh, as of 2021, Chad is the winemaker for Rustique wines, but he started with me 
not even thinking he wanted to be in wine, but he got bit like I did. Oh, and, there you go. And he just, he went off to call. He worked for me for two years, then went off to college, worked at a bunch of other wineries, and now he's back home. And it's such a pleasure to just see him blossom and grow. Nice. Um, Fantastic. And um, again, we are at a working winery and we're having deliveries or trucks it's, pulling it's, up it's um you know it's typical we're doing uh, we're, we're doing our best but yeah, yeah. wineries are loud <laughs> and you know that's what i think a lot of people don't realize it they think oh we're going to visit a winery and it's um, beautiful and we're you know bucolic setting but you know there's a lot of moving parts that need to happen there's a lot of machinery a lot of machinery a lot of loud machinery like during harvest when the press is going and the chiller's going and the pumps and everything are just humming it's it's loud is that a rooster too out here? Oh yeah, that's big, that's big red. We have eleven big chickens, uh, one rooster, and a duck. Oh yeah. my goodness! Wow. Um, Quite a menagerie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, that, and you also have a couple dogs. A uh, couple dogs, couple dogs, couple goldfish. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know we, we it's a fun. So we we bought this little five acre ranch, and it's just kind of keeps evolving, keeps blossoming, and I just I love being here. Um, but um, back to the mentorship thing. Um, so Chad started with me. And then while Chad was with me, um, I met uh, Junior um, Benuelos. Um, and uh, he, he, came, he came to me um, just open and willing to, to learn. And uh, he's been my right-hand man for seven years now. That's fantastic. Um, and, uh, and so he started his own brand, uh, Sling and Stone Wines. Um, and, um, yeah, no, both, both of them are just, like I said, that symphony that was happening. Um, it's because Chad Jr. And I have worked together so long that just on the crush pad, and I had the same thing with Jeff where we didn't need to talk to each other. We knew exactly where we needed to be and we could support each other without even needing to utter a word. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. And that's so great that you could recreate that type of relationship and atmosphere here yeah. well in valuing that it's your turn to help someone else you know it, it wasn't that long ago when you were the guy trying to figure it all out and learn on you know learn the process and learn the craft and now to be able to teach others is a really cool thing it's a it's a it's a it's a lot of moving parts and it's a lot of things and i mean we're still working on things where um, it's just, it's a lot of information that you have to be able to process and mm -hmm. put into action the way that you want it to be put into. And, and it takes a lot of time and intention and thought and, um, energy outside of just the sheer mechanics of the work. Sure. Um, so it's, it, that's commendable that you, you do that and let's drink to that. Let's try something else. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so Let's do a little bit of Pinot since, you know, we're talking about traditionals. So this is uh, the Santa Lucia Highlands Pinot from Escol Vineyard. Um, the Caraccioli family farms this. And in 2014, when I moved here, I was lucky enough to get hooked up with Scott Caraccioli. And I've been making the wine consistently since 2014. Um, we change blocks, we change clones. Um, thankfully, <laughs> I know you're pausing because you're hearing noise. It's okay. Sorry, okay. sorry guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we can't control the background noise, but we're it cool just proves it. that we are actually here on site. Yeah. Um, but um, so the Caracholis um, and Scott um, is really, really nice where he 
knows his vineyard so well and we talk and we're like, well, this is where I kind of want to drive to. This is what I'm thinking. This is the clone that I'm really interested in. And he's, and he'll shift things around and get me a couple of tons of this and that and be like, hey, you know, you really need to check this out. And so it's a really cool collaboration in the vineyard uh, with Scott. And I really appreciate him tremendously for that. Um, so this is mostly clone 943 um, with a little bit of swan. Uh, clone it is it. absolutely beautiful it really it has that bright cherry fruit it's floral it's just silky wow. smooth i mm-hmm. wow thanks that's really really great it is boy thanks to um that clone and uh for your talent and making it and t- turning it from a grape into a beautiful wine that's really lovely thank you i um I learned Pinot from from Jeff. Uh, he, you know, that's that's been their their backbone uh, since '75, um, and uh, it's fun to be working in multiple regions. So we still make a Santa Cruz Mountain Pinot that I farm uh, in Happy Valley in in Santa Cruz, um, and then also to be working in the Highlands, and I get to play in these two very radically different regions, um, uh, but it's still just very very focused. I only make the two only make the two pinots um because i have to play with a bunch of other stuff and when you're making 32 wines you you need to have some sort of guideline or focus which i haven't found yet <laughs> <laughs> still searching still searching. you know i think one of the things that seems to be key to this area is there's it seems to be a lot of uh, camaraderie and collaboration with the different uh winemakers and y'all seem to know each other in the monterey county general area and um it, it's kind of, it's great because it it's like a rising tide lifts all boats. You guys, there doesn't appear to be a, a animosity that I've noticed, and I love that. I've been blown away time and time again um, by this community, and it's and it's not even just the wine community; it's the community at large. Um, the, like I said, meeting the right people, and you know, there's there's neighbors. The whole mulch on the front portion of the property, a guy just rolled in and was like, "Hey." I do mulch. I'm just going to drop mulch there till you say stop because I, w- I see what you're doing here and I like it and I want to, I want to, I just want to give it to you, you because I want to make it look nice on the road. That wow. is so nice. Like that's the kind of stuff that this, ca- this county does. Mm. Man. Um, you know, neighbors being like, hey, you need a backhoe? Great. Here, have, mm. have this backhoe or hey, I'll come drive it for you. You need a grader, you know. Um, so Chad's dad, very early on, um, just had a friend that was, they were going to be dumping this Carmel stone, this ground up Carmel stone. And he was just like, Oh, it would make a really good road for you. And I'm like, okay, sure. Um, and by just saying yes and allowing somebody to do a good thing, um, uh, Chad's dad had all this stuff dumped, brought over his scraper and made this trucking road on our property. That would have cost me, don't even know how much, but like, those are the types of things that this community has done for for me. Um, and it's all based upon they see you working hard, so they want to support that. Yeah. And that's what this community is about, is you work hard and we all will lift each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're kind of, if you're just flittering about and like, gimme, 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 like nobody's going to give you anything. Yeah, you're invested here in this community. You yeah. care about the, your neighbors and yeah. they care and about su- you. And you're supporting the community too by what you're doing and how you are mentoring people in the industry so it's it's a, it's a nice um continuum to see it's super important 
super important and it's it's the most important thing of that whole ethos of like community is just lift each other up don't shred each other apart Mm -hmm. um and and in some communities that's that's tough to attain um and in wine sometimes it can be that way but um in this community i feel like everyone genuinely wants everyone to do well and that's special Let's talk, since you mentioned the, the patio out front, let's talk about the experience people have when they come to visit you. Um, we are open every day um, because we figure we, we have tons of work to do anyway. So, you know, if, if nobody's here, my, the staff can do other things, right? And they can label bottles or they can do this, that, or the other. So Claire and I decided let's just be open seven days a week just so that we're available, right? Um, we started off just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I had no employees, and I just worked it. Wow! So um, you didn't get a break? No, no. And I was, and so in 2014 when we moved here, I crushed 80 tons by myself um, and worked the tasting room. Wow! Um, so that was silly. <laughs> oh my gosh! That was silly looking back at it. Um, now we have full time staff um, for the tasting room and have. Um, a lot more traffic than we had then. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've built a really great tasting experience. It's all outside. Um, the climate here is beautiful. We've built rock walls and things to keep the wind away because the wind is very important to this valley. But, you know, when you're tasting wine, you don't want to be blasted by the wind. Um, so we're constantly trying to up our tasting room experience. Um, and that drive is all driven by the people that come and are excited to be here. And um, I think everyone that works at Odonata loves wine, is into wine, and is just a fun, good person. So, you know, what we say is go out there, go go tell a story. If it's not about wine. It's about relationship building, right? It's about just having a good comfortable fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to cultivate just a really warm beautiful experience for people to just come and and we try to disarm people where you know wine doesn't have to be this mysterious thing if you don't like a particular wine let's get you a different one Mm -hmm. um that's okay because wine's about you it's not about like i'm making wines because i'm on a journey of like what i'm trying to do but it's not going to resonate with everyone and that's okay yeah, yeah. Um, and being cool, okay with that is important. Absolutely. It is a personal, it's just your personal taste and right. what you like, right? Right. But I think another nice thing about this area and Odonata is that uh, unlike some wine country destinations where you're going to visit the winery, but you're never going to have any glimpse of anybody who's doing any of the work to make the wine, there's a good chance people might bump into you while they're here because you're actually working right here, right. <laughs> you know, right next to... Uh, the production facility and the um, in your tasting zone. It's cool. I think that makes River Road pretty special because most of the production facilities are tied to the tasting rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you are going to see the owners and the winemakers and, um, and and that sort of thing happening. It's not just a tasting room floating somewhere in, in space, like my first tasting room. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you're, you're there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you're in the vineyards and it's, it's a very cool experience on River Road here. I think so, it's very special. So um, we have a, another wine to taste. And so if um, people are here and they get a little sip of Cote de Dennis, um, they might get to meet the namesake on the list. <laughs> so tell us about this wine. So um, Junior and I developed this brand together. 
because um, we were starting to play with some stuff that's a little off the beaten path. Um, so we were, sorry, I'm pouring wine and talking. Can't, can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, but um, so, uh, so the Cote Denis label was born because we started making these wines that are just a little little twisted or just very twisted um, <laughs> off off the beaten path, right? Okay. Um, so this one that we just poured is called our Malbec Et. It just means Malbec and. Oh, um, okay. And so it's 4% Viognier. Oh. And so we pl- I planted the Viognier out in the front to co-ferment with my Syrah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the whole point of that one and a half acres is for co-fermentation. Okay. And, to put and the white it, with the red. And, and is that commonly done or is that kind of unusual? Um, in, fr- in, fr- in the Rhone region of France, yes. Oh, okay. um, they will put a little bit of Viognier in with their, with sure. their Syrah. Okay. Um, and um, so that's like a very, um, it, it sets better color. It pushes floral aromatics. It's, okay. it's a really cool way in which to make wine. Okay. And I've always wanted to do it, but... It's really hard to go to a grower and say, "Hey, can I get a hundred pounds of Viognier on some unknown date?" They're like, "Because you need to have it be you know, ripen, basically come in at the same time, be ripe enough to co-ferment with what, whether it's Syrah or Malbec, right?" And that's that's tricky getting that timing because you don't control it, right? Um, so I got really lucky because I I planted the vineyard because that's what I wanted to do and I and have the have the idea to do that um and we're in a colder area of Monterey so the Viognier doesn't get as ripe as quickly um whereas Viognier in San Antonio Valley is one of the first things I pick um in the season so having the Viognier in a colder area I Syrah is one of the last things to come in so we kind of like you're saying Mary that we we were we, we kind of brought that timing together. Yeah. Um, and uh, so even if the Viognier, it can be, it doesn't have to be perfectly ripe, right? It just needs to be in the zone mm-hmm. um, for co-fermentation purposes. Um, and so I can just over the period of time, because we, we make five different vineyard designate San Lucia Highland Syrahs. Like, that's a focus oh, of wow. mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't all come in at the same time also. So when we bring in Syrah, it, we say, okay, well, we need 10 buckets of this. And so we go out and we pick 10 buckets, put it on the scale, and that's and, and we, we make sure our, our, our percentages are correct. Into the distemmer it goes. Wow. Um, that's funny. But there's no way I can do that any other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're growing it. That makes good sense. Yeah. And this is a really yummy wine. So this one was really silly. Um, so we brought in uh, 10 tons of Malbec, put it into put it into two tanks, and I had already picked all of my Syrah, and we still had like 200 pounds of Viognier out there. And so Junior and I just looked at each other. We're like, oh, just throw it in there. Go get some buckets. Yeah. Right. So we picked it. <laughs> we, we, yeah. threw it we threw it in. Uh, <laughs> we, we threw it into the, the fermenter, um, uh, into one of the fermenters. And so we had one fermenter with it and one fermenter without it. And my intention was to just put it all together anyway and whatever. But we pressed them separate because it's two different press loads. So it was separate by definition. It got about the same wood program. And as we're tasting it in the cellar, we're just like, oh, this is really open and fun and playful. And the... The regular 
uh, Malbec is more dense and chewy and more violets and it's more restrained and more, more, more serious. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had already designed the Cote Denis label for a carbonic carignan, um, which is just a, a wackadoodle fermentation kind of thing <laughs> where you just starve it of oxygen. It's got all these different esters and things going on that, you know, putting it under Odonata isn't. So the, the Cote Denis label was designed for the carbonic carignan, but we already had the label and we we're like, well, let's just do a little something different. And so the Malbaguette was the second wine under um, the Cote Denis label. So um, we have a Malbec that is more serious under the Odonata label and then the Malbec Et that has the Viognier as the, the fun, playful kid. Um, and the story behind the, 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 the Cote Denis label is it's my Irish coat of arms. Um, so it's my, my, my family crest. And then uh, my parents, my dad was a mathematician, and my, all my family's names were five characters. And, when I, and I was the last born. And they wanted to name me Dennis, but it had six characters. <laughs> and then they found out that the French spell it with one N. Okay. <laughs> and so my dad was like, yes, that is it. <laughs> That's Denis. Um, yeah. And, um, and so my name was already spelled French. And so Junior and I were like, well, let's just make this really stuffy French label. Just really stuffy. Make it look just very serious. Like this is going to be a really serious wine. And then just put a bunch of goofy stuff inside. Playful with it. That. Oh, that's, that's so great. great. <laughs> um, so we now have like, so we now have t- on, in the tasting room, we have enough Cote d'Ani um, wines that we have two different flights you can do. You can do the Odonata flight when you want to just see like, San Lucia Highlands, you want to see really serious wines. Um, that's the Odonata flight. And then with Cote Denis, we've got like all the silliness. Oh, you get to play around. And you can, it and you can check it all fun. out. We've got like um, Super Cali, um, which is Sangio Cab blends. Um, we've got a Petite Sangio where we blended Petite Sra and Sangio together. We've got the Malbec Et. We're just about to bottle our first Cab Et, which is. Um, you know, just it's a really fun uh, Central Coast Bordeaux blend where it's like Cab Franc and uh, Malbec and uh, Cab uh, blended together. So, it's, so it's, just just it's our for fun label. It's, it's fun that. and so creative. I love the Malbec Et. <laughs> and we've got one more wine to, t- to I think it's great that you leave yourself about. room to keep exploring, keep discovering, and keep having making mm-hmm. it fun for yourself, right? I'd Not be, just do the same thing. I'd be so bored. <laughs> I'd be so bored if I made three wines and made like, you know, a couple thousand cases of each wine. Like just I mean, from the story that you've just heard, I need to be busy and I need to be I need to be challenged on multiple levels to mm-hmm. be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, yeah, make if I made Pinot Chard cab and 3000 cases of each that wouldn't be fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not fun for the tasting room. Well, People want new and absolutely. different. And you always have a new different flight from us. Um, and even if you come in and you're like, oh, I just did this last week, we can be like, oh, don't worry about it. We got these open. We'll just take, we'll just do <laughs> a, a new flight for else. you. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's really great. And I think it helps make wine so much less intimidating and that you can have fun with it. And, you know, you aren't doing a formulaic product. You, you're not sticking to the classics. You, certainly respecting those but then you're putting your own twist on it mm-hmm. winemaking is a philosophy right um I, I'm, I'm really crafting this as my the way that i talk about wine and winemaking and winemakers we're all 
we're all running on a philosophy and a belief system that resonates and we understand to work for us. And that's what makes winemakers different. It's those decisions and it's that philosophy of, I'm not going to put this wine through a must pump because I don't like the texture that it's making. So I'm making the decision that I don't need a must pump in my winery because that's not something I'm going to do. That's a, that's a choice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's thousands of choices. And so I say the, the winemaker's philosophy is what you're, you're tasting. And so like my philosophy is to be, you know, not super intrusive on the wine. It's to be delicate and then it's also to just have fun. Yeah. I, I explore wine. I'm a big wine geek. I taste wines from all over the world as much as I can, as much as I can get my palate on because I love wine. Um, and so we we get inspiration from our exploration. Oh, so. I love that. Oh, that's great. So great. And I love that notion of your yeah. own philosophy, your signature on what you're doing. It's it's really like the uh, just over the last two years, that's, that's the word that I use like all the time with people where it's like this is my philosophy it doesn't mean it's right right Mm -hmm. it's personal this is just like i like to do this Mm -hmm. because it gives me the result that i'm looking for um and it's it's really starting to serve well that's great so tell us about the syrah that's in our glass so this syrah got four percent viognier from the from the estate Mm -hmm. vineyard um the vineyard is called so we do a hundred percent uh viognier from this vineyard it's it's uh, called Chiara Vineyard, which is Italian for Claire, which is my wife's oh, name. Oh, that's beautiful. So as I was like planting the grapes and like mucking around in the dirt, I was like, what am I going to call this vineyard? So this has Chiara Viognier in it, uh, 4%, co-fermented. This is Eskel Vineyard as well, because I kind of wanted to give a good nod to the to the Highlands um, for Syrah. I make five different vineyard designate Highland, San Lucia Highlands Syrahs. Um, I think Syrah is one of the most beautiful things in the San Lucia Highlands. This is so lovely. It really is great. I think this is the first time I've had a Syrah off of a skull. This is the first fruit off of a skull from, uh, um, they grafted it. And this was in 19 was the very first fruit that was picked off of, uh, um, so, uh, I was lucky enough to, to get a little bit of it and I continue to, um, it's Albin clones. Um, it's just, this meaty, gamey, coffee, toffee, just black pepper spice, just, exactly. just, mm-hmm. just really where I want to be in Syrah land. And, and yet also, it's got a soft texture to it. It doesn't, you know, it's not making your mouth angry. It's <laughs> tannin really- management's a big deal in Syrah. Yeah. Um, when you're making the wine, giving it oxygen, this is all back to the philosophy thing, giving it oxygen when you think it needs it. And, mm-hmm. you know, all those things impact the texture and the flavors. So cool. Beautiful. So you have two boys. I have a 10 and a nine year old. Do you do they work in the vineyards? Are they are you thinking that they're are they showing any interest in carrying this on down the road? I am super hopeful. Yeah. Um, I, I love legacy. I love the thing that I love about this valley is some of my friends are fifth generation cattle ranchers or, you know, row crop farmers. Fifth generation, like, think about that. That is a lot of time mm-hmm. and a lot of history. And that just, like, make, gives me the shivers. Like, I love that. It's wonderful, yeah. And, like, you go to France and you see, like, fifth generation winemaker and you're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I hope that they get the same shivers. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that I can inspire them 
Um, I, I tell Junior and Chad all the time that they're my test babies for like what to do <laughs> and what not to do um, for for my children. Um, <laughs> well, it's true because like the oldest kid always gets the worst parenting because parents are too nervous or trying mm-hmm. too hard or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you need a couple of <laughs> I have four kids, so I know. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so, uh, I'm, I'm truly hopeful that they'll see that it's such a beautiful lifestyle and that it, that, I mean, I'm hopeful that, that it'll always winemaking and a wine running a winery is always going to be tough, but I, I hope that we're through the, the real pigeonhole of like, it started with nothing and building into something and now we have something and now it's their job to continue to build that, um, and um, this year is the first year that they said yes to I'm going to give them each a half a ton. Um, and they're well, I'm not I'm not giving it to them, actually. Um, they're they're going to learn how to make wine with that half a ton. They're going to get to make the decisions. I'll give them the options of what they can do. And they're going to ha- put their toe in the water and make their first wine this year. And it's going to be like an FFA project where okay. um, the cost of the fruit, cost of the glass, cost of the corks and all that stuff, designing their own label. Um, and they're going to go through the whole process of that wine. And then we'll sell it in the tasting room. Wow. Um, and whatever money they make from it will go into their college fund. How fun. Um, that's so cool. Dennis, that's a great idea. And mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that it's going to like generate an interest and an intrigue. They always come down and, and around this time they all, they're, they're just like, dad, when are we going to go check the grapes? When are we going to go taste grapes? Cause we have like little grape wars in the vineyards mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> when I'm sampling vineyards mm-hmm. and, um, and they love the juice when we have the tanks full, when it's just juice before it's starting to ferment. It's all yeah. sugary and sweet and yummy. So they come down, they taste it, and they're like, I like that one. I don't like that one. <laughs> um, so there's there's a lot of conversation happening, but um, I'm I'm truly, I'm hopeful I don't mess it up. Oh, Let's yeah, put it that way. I can't imagine. Well, how you so do. far you haven't. And we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy, busy, busy life to chat with us and share your story, share your beautiful wines. And um, I just want to say, I, you know, I think we both agree, both Mary's would thank you for everything you're doing for the community, for um, inspiring other winemakers. And uh, we hope to see the second generation here at Odonata one day. Yeah. And I, I hope so. And hats <laughs> off to you for putting in the work and believing in yourself and believing in, in the your ability to make your dream come true. I'm so glad you have. And thanks again for being here today. Sip, sip, hooray, Dennis. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. We're so glad you found Sip, Sip, Hooray podcast. We thank you for listening. And we really encourage you to share our podcast with your friends. So, Go to whatever podcast platform you listen to our pod on and be sure to rate us or review us. It helps other people find our podcast too. And be sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss another episode. But there's plenty of episodes we've got on our website from past interviews that you won't want to miss. So visit com. 
And we're also, of course, on social media. You can find us at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas for future podcasts or great finds you want to share with us, just DM us and we'll get back to you. Thank you for listening. I'm Mary Babbitt. Cheers and Sip Sip Hooray. Cheers to you, Mary Orland. Sip Sip Hooray.